Do you and your spouse ever dream of cashing it all in and traveling the world? What would you experience? What would you learn about each other? Is it even possible? Well, today's guests, world travelers Matt and Nikki Javitt, share their insights from over two years of living that dream together. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is Danielle and Justin, and we're so glad you're joining us. So whether you've been listening for a long time, or maybe this is just your first time, welcome to the family. Yeah, you know, this podcast is only part of what we're up to. We also have an amazing online community of couples just like you who are sick and tired of settling for ordinary marriages. So we're over there talking about life and love and everything that makes marriage legendary. So over there in our free community on Facebook, you can just search for Legendary Marriage. All right, so this is episode 83, and our guests today are world travelers, podcasters, and bloggers, Matt and Nikki Javitt. And they discovered travel, and now they are on a mission. They've got the bug. They have to see the whole world. The whole world. Yes. Um, So they're going to share their story of how they became full-time explorers, um, some of the amazing places they visited, and what they've learned about each other Along the way. You know, I love conversations that we get to have with couples like this because this is part of our DNA. I know. They a are, few years they've ago. They've really, really done it. They've put in all the chips and yeah. they are doing it. So a few years ago, Danielle and I bought an RV, a motorhome, and we toured the country for like five months. We sold our house. We, we put all the chips in. Yeah. It was a different time and it was, uh, there, there was, you know, there's a line between faith and foolishness. We, we, and I think sometimes we, you fall on one side or the other. Well, I think we... But it was a lot of fun. We consistently walk that line mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Yeah. And like Allie, she was only one and a half when we did it. One of my favorite like laughable stories about that is people are like, how'd you take a one and a half year old in an RV? And this was for five months that we did this. Um, she slept in the dashboard of our, <laughs> of our motor home. <laughs> we made a pack and play that was like... It was like all fabric it and it like suspended. like a baby cage. It was kind of a baby cage, if we're honest, but uh, let's not, let's not. She uh, loved it. Yeah. It worked. It yeah. worked. But that, no. that, the baby cage, along with an, ob- <laughs> an obscene amount of watching shows on the iPad and. Um, and we, we saw all, all the like check off places yeah. like Yellowstone, Yosemite, Mount Rushmore. It was kind know. of a survey trip for us. Yeah, we saw a lot. Now we're fixing to start doing, like next summer, we'll start doing, we'll start going back out. What I think is really cool about it is for Allie, like she doesn't remember that stuff. She's one and a half years old. No, she does not remember it, but. But I think it's in her DNA for Mm -hmm. sure. Like we have that thing in us that wants to, on the way to work, jerk the wheel and just hit the open road. Okay, that is not the right (laughs) expression to use there. But um, yeah, so anyways. 
Matt and Nikki have, they've worked hard. They'll tell the whole story of how they worked hard, banked the cash, and now they've been traveling the world. We had a great conversation. We're excited to share it with you. So let's dive right in. All right. We are here with Matt and Nikki with Passport Joy. How y'all doing? Wonderful. I want to know where you are. Yes. We are in Bucharest, Romania currently. Oh my gosh. These two are just to get a map out. These two are just world travelers. Um, how many countries do you think you've been to? You know, we, we talk about this sometimes. We we don't have an active list, but it's over 30, I believe. Um, you get a, you get a bunch, you can get a bunch of countries when you go to Europe, obviously, and then Central America, which we haven't done a lot, and then the islands. That's where people typically get a lot of countries. But um, yeah, we're we're about 30, I think. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Now, how did y'all meet? I was, so we've been married for going on 13 years. I was 20, 27. Nikki was 22. Um, and then she, she was in a gap year from her undergrad um, at Indiana, Indiana University. And she was working as a manager at a pharmacy, a clinical pharmacy. Clinical pharmacy. And um, before she was going to go after her doctorate in pharmacy. And I had finished up my MBA and I had a small clothing line business during the day and I was bartending at night and she coming into the bar one um, late Sunday night and we it was more my side she walked in I loved the situation and uh um I I was instantly I knew that that uh she was the one for me it took her a little bit of uh convincing but what was funny was when she she came to the bar with her girlfriend and um during the process of hanging out that night I got her phone number and I kind of stalked her for six straight days. And then after calling her and leaving her voice message for six straight days, I said, on the seventh day, I said, hey, look, if you're breaking up with me, I need to know so I can move on with my life. And, uh, <laughs> and she's like, crazy person, awesome. we are not together. Yeah, she's partial, like this dude's a creeper. Yeah. But, but I made her laugh, finally. Um, so she gave me the chance in, to go on a date and then, and we really, within eight months, I asked her to marry me. We got married about eight months after that. And we've been together since. Um, the, the ironic twist of the story is the girlfriend that she came with the, to the bar with, that same night I introduced her to my roommate, they've been married for 10 years, three kids, two girls walk in single, walk out with their with their soulmates. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I feel like this a, is like the next Ryan Reynolds drama. I know. I'm like, this is like a movie or a book or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And we're still real close with, with uh, Katie and Danny. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. It's, it's the book is called the magical bar. Like you walk yeah. in. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I think we can go over the It's got like a that. force field around it. A love field. You just walk in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So back in the day, were you guys travelers? Growing up, I was really fortunate enough to have a family that traveled. And it wasn't international per se, but I always grew up where we would go on like your standard spring break, spring break vacation or summer vacation or Christmas vacation. And it was every year that was something that I always looked forward to. When I was... 16 years old, my parents afforded me the opportunity. My high school had this international trip 
that um, a bunch of us were talking about where we could go and travel to Spain for an extended period of time. And I said, Hey, this is something I really want to do. And my dad was like, if this is something that you want to do, then you can go ahead and do that. So I went with like a group of 12 or 15 of my friends and I went all over mainland Spain. And so for me, that was my travel experience. When I grew up, I grew up in a, in a military family. My dad was in the Navy. So I moved a bunch. Um, I've, I've actually lived in 10 States in the U S my travel came from actual like living travel. I played college hoops. So I had an opportunity to see different parts of the U.S. traveling that way. You both kind of had a heart for it to begin with. And then you, you meet one fateful night. What made you say this is the one about each other? I felt early on, I think that I, I might have been at a different stage of my life than Nikki was. Nikki was, was younger but um, I, had, I had dated a few girls um, through my, my 20s. And so I've had a, I had a chance to experience what I thought was a good relationship. And then once I met Nikki, we had so much in common and she was everything that I wanted in a woman that I knew really early on. I mean, to the point where we met February 15th and on Easter was the first time, it was in Easter in April, it was the first time I was gonna bring her to my family. And I told my mom, this is the girl I'm going to marry. I told her flat. I, I just knew. Oh. And, and then so um, my mom was like, you're crazy or whatever. But they met her and they were like, they were the same. They were like, she's, she's awesome. She's a good fit for me. So then the courting continued over the summertime. We had a chance to really get to know each other. And then by, by October, I asked her. And she was shocked. It was early in our relationship. I'd asked her dad first and all that. Um, and, um, but, and I was in a weird phase of my life where, I was, I was bartending, like I had, I had the education and background, but I was still kind of in that weird phase where, um, I'm not sure if I've ever grown up now, that I, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like in that, like, kind of like, okay, I'm ready for the next chapter in life and see what, see what's going to come. And so I was ready. I, I knew right away that I was like, oh, she's the one I better get her off the market as quickly as possible <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or I've got no shot and finding somebody like her again. So that that was that was kind of how I saw it. Matt, he met a lot of my criteria. I'm super picky. So first of all- you have a list? Oh, I have like a, an extensive list, but we, <laughs> we won't get into that. I, for me, it's, you know, it's not based on looks solely, but I really like tall men. So Matt's 6'6", so I'm not gonna lie. Initially, I was attracted to him for that. And he's a sweetheart, you know, all around, he's a super nice guy. And I think how I knew, because initially I was shocked after eight months of just being with someone, I, I had zero clue when he asked me, I was kind of blindsided by that, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that he was the one because I couldn't imagine my life without him. Um, I'd spent so much of my time from that moment that we had met each other and just moving forward, um, he felt like a best friend and a person that I, if, if someone were to tell me the very next day he's missing or he's gone or you can't be with him, I would feel completely devastated. And in addition to that, 
he was so supportive of everything that I wanted to do. And I, I felt like, you know, I had already had a degree and I was about to go back to school for another five years to, to finish out my doctorate. I had an amazing job that I was working at and I had no college debt at that point because I was fortunate enough where my father had paid for my school and he knew what I was about to walk into. I was about to go to a private university that cost an exorbitant amount of money. And I had to have that hard conversation with him and be like, listen, this is how much this is going to cost me. This is how much money I'm going to end up owing when I'm done. I have a great paying job. And he was like, if this is something that you want to do, do it. And it was never a question of, well, oh, let me think about it. You know, this is a lot of money. I always felt like never afraid to tell him things or he was always very calm and collected about just our conversations. And it was so refreshing to have that because my past relationships were anything but that. So for me, it was just something new and, and great. And he was so supportive of everything that I did. And it was very comforting to me. I love that. And I, yeah. I it's so interesting that you're talking about how you were so driven in your career and your education and, um, getting a specific job and now you're not doing the, you know, you're, you're traveling the world. You're not doing that anymore. So what did it look like for y'all from going from, you know, the education, the job, the, all that kind of stuff to traveling the world and doing what you're doing now and blogging and, you know, different country every day and all that. How did that come about? So then that, that process, so Nikki went through school, got her doctorate um, in pharmacy. Um, and I once, what's funny was when I asked her to marry me, when I asked her dad, he was, he was smart in his ways. And he said, Matt, if, if you're going to marry my daughter, uh, I'd rather you not be a bartender. Because um, he had grown up in the bar industry. And he's like, dude, he's like, buddy, it's rough. You, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to be in marriage running a bar. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I agreed with him. I agree with them. So um, at that point, what I did was the people that came into the bar and spent the most money um, were like these young 30 and late 20 year olds uh, close to my age at that time. And I just said, what do you guys do? Um, and they were in the financial industry. And I just said, hey, I, I've got an education. I've, I've got some experience. I said, can you give me an interview? And I ended up getting a job with working with um, several of them. So that propelled me into kind of the, the corporate businessy world. And then over the next five years, Nikki got her degree. She was still working 30 hours a week. And then I was I was working my tail off doing, doing that um, work. And then the recession hit. And thank God I got, I moved from um, the finance world into technology. Uh, a company took a chance on me and um, we got into t- technology. So I did that for nine years um, after a, a very tough two years. And Nikki's talking about how I supported her. She supported me greatly in the, in the first couple of years because it was really hard in sales and in, in a very fresh feel for me. So I busted my butt for two years, really got to understand what I was doing. And then by about year three, I really began to accelerate in that. And at that point, Nikki, then she, um, she was out of school. She was now a pharmacist. Um, and then we could, we could really hone in and focus on the, the college debt and get us through that. And then, so we just, we, and so we worked like crazy for those, those next five years. We just zoned in and really worked. And in, be, in between that, we would take trips. Um, our, we, would, we would often go visit Chicago to go see family, but we'd always mix in kind of weekend trips. Um, and then 
because of the performance of, of that I was having at my company is an international company based out of Paris, their year end incentive trips were all these cool places around the world. Um, we had a chance to go to Istanbul, Turkey, Chiang Mai, Thailand, Goa, India. They came to Miami one year. And then the, um, the last trip that I took was Cape Town, South Africa. So through, through that process, uh, our initial trip to Istanbul, Turkey, it was just a whole new world to me. Once we left Istanbul, that city, we spent four days there. We came back and I'm like, man, on the flight home, we are like, we got to do this more often. Um, and so that started the process of not only were, during the, the year we were having these incentive trips, we would plan longer term trips one other time during the year. So we mixed in um, a Brazil-Argentina trip. Uh, we, we went to Panama. Mm-hmm. We went to um, Greece and Croatia. So we started mixing these international travel. And every time we came home, we, we felt so refreshed, so renewed. And we just kept dreaming, like, what if we could do this full time? Like, what if we just saved our money and just took a couple years off and just did this full time? Because we just thought, like, the, a lot of the expenses is, is, is flying and then flying home. And, and um, if you can do it on a regular basis, you can keep your costs low and you get in, a, get in a flow. And then you can tap into some other things around creativity, really get to meet the locals. Because we always felt like after like 10 or 11 days coming home, we're like, oh, I just wish we could have stayed one more week. You feel like you're just starting to get used to a place after a week or two. And then you're like, well, man, now I'm going back home. And I just feel so tired because while we were there, you try to jam pack all this stuff in and you're really not getting to experience it all because you're like, oh, I have to do all these things that everyone told me that I needed to do. And I'm rushing around And then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's time to go home. Now I got to prepare for work on Monday. So I didn't really feel like the vacation time per se um, was not that it wasn't well spent, but I just felt really rushed. And I always felt like I always needed more time. My time there, I definitely enjoyed. But whenever I came back, I was like, gosh, I just needed just a little bit more time while I was there. Didn't really get out of it what I really wanted to get out of it. That resonates. Uh, When we did the RV trip a few years ago we we looking back we found ourselves like on the move on the move we got we got to get to this place and then this one and this one like quick soak it in soak it in okay go go. we gotta go we get miles miles and smiles miles and smiles yeah yellowstone one one day we did yellowstone in one day wow yeah we literally just drove through yellowstone it was was stopped at one point and went wow yeah yeah you know and it was, we feel like we missed so much, like to the point of what, what were we doing? Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Just yeah, checking a bunch learned, of boxes or something. Absolutely. And we've learned our, um, over time, we continue to learn how to travel better and yeah. we become much better travelers on, um, not really just getting anxious on stuff like that anymore and just really kind of trying to stay in the moment. Um, especially in it, um, this is uh, so to be super clear, we know how blessed we are. We're so lucky to be doing what we're doing. Um, and we never, we never try to um, take it for granted. Um, so we, we uh, try to be present in the places we are in because what's hard, what's, what's amazing about what we're doing is there's always a very cool, fun thing soon ahead. Like we're looking forward to these awesome places. So for us, it's uh, being very present um, in Bucharest right now. And as it was just, we were just in Lisbon I'm hanging when we were hanging out with our friends, not thinking about Bucharest where right. the things were coming ahead. We're trying to stay very present, but in that presence, um, not trying to do everything. Yeah. Um, we've learned that we, we don't have to go see all these sites. 
we can ha- we can take days off and Netflix at home if if that's the thing we want to do on that day because there's always going to be endless things that you want to see. Um, we loved living in Indianapolis, and and I actually just had this question about three months ago. A, a Facebook buddy said, "Hey Matt, my friend's going to Indianapolis. What should they go see?" And I'm like, "I mean, are, do they do they have a month? They have five weeks. They got three days because there's so much, so many cool things to see in any given city that it's impossible to do it all." Um, so we've just learned to, to travel better and just kind of slow down and, and relax and, and really enjoy it. Man, that that resonates just from the standpoint of uh, life on the homestead, even, you know, slow down and be present, knowing that there's something new tomorrow and the day after and the day after. But we yeah. do miss out on things because we're we're not present. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I want to know what are some of your, like you said, you've done 30 countries. Like what are some of your favorite stories, favorite places that y'all have been to share with us stateside people? (laughs) So my personal favorite, I mean, I have several, but I think my personal favorite is this place in Chile. It's called San Pedro de Atacama. And it's in the middle of the desert. And the only way I can describe it is it's like being on a different planet. Like one day you'll go hiking um, up like a huge mountain. We did this hike. It was called Cerro Toco. And funny thing is, is I didn't even know that was one of the things we were going to do. And Matt's like, oh, yeah, it's this amazing hike we're going to do. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, I don't have hiking boots. Well, I told the guy, I told the guy, like, we're not hikers. I said, we will take day treks. We'll, um we'll go out and we'll, we'll walk around for three hours. So we, but we've never really walked up mountains and this guy's like, nah, it's, it's not a big, not a big He's deal. Like, You're physically fit. Don't but worry the, about yeah, it. And, but this guy uh, he had done like 300 mountains. He was so over the top. And then we get there. It's snow capped mountains, like and- ice. <laughs> like, he, luckily yeah. they had a pair of hiking boots for me with like a little bit of spikiness on the bottom, yeah. but I wear size fifteens. Poor, 15s. poor and, Matt, size fifteen shoe. No but, one has any shoes for you. And we didn't. We didn't say this, but we only have one backpack a piece on this adventure, yeah. so we don't have that many clothes. And what our our intention was always to follow the sun wherever we're traveling, so we don't have to worry about winter clothes at all. But once we get there, and like Nikki was describing, it's a desert with, but they have elevation of different mountains. So yeah. this guy sits up mountains, and there's snow. And I'm like, dude, we. So he has to give me gloves, like. Yeah, I felt super yeah. needy. I was like, can I have some gloves? Can I have a hat? Do you have walking sticks? Can I borrow some shoes? So needless to say, they had all of that stuff for me and they did for him minus the um, shoes. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. So Matt's barefoot. Regardless of it. Okay. <laughs> but no, Matt's not barefoot. He's no, in, but I'm he's, slipping. In, he's slipping and falling slipping as we're the, going the up. Snow. So it's a three hour hike up, two hour hike down. But because of the elevation, it's over 18,000 feet. Um, because of this elevation, you have to walk very, very slow because yeah. if you don't, then you'll get headaches and your body just has to acclimate to the climate. Nikki, Anyways. Nikki was amazing. She crushed this thing. I was the one I could like, I couldn't catch my breath. At I don't, points. I don't suffer from altitude sickness. Yeah. And, and then, so um, I was okay with it. But when you get to the top, the views are just breathtaking. And so it was yeah, a it was real awesome. highlight. But what I failed to mention is, is like, you'll wake up in the morning and you're in the middle of a desert. So it's like flat. It almost like looks like, um, like the Southwest United States. So maybe Nevada, Arizona ish. 
and then it'll be zero degrees Celsius, so cold. And then during the day, it'll probably be like 25 degrees Celsius. So you need, you know, warmer clothes. So you have to dress in layers. But on this mountain, it was cold, okay? So then that was like a day excursion. And then another excursion that we did was you can go to these lagoons. And these lagoons, you'll have to take a bus. So on the tour group, they take you out on these buses. And this is like probably an hour and a half drive on a bus. And you're driving through desert and you see all the landscape changes or whatever. And you'll get to the middle of nowhere and you just see all this like red dirt. And then all of a sudden... It opens up and you see crystal clear, and I'm not joking, like turquoise crystal clear all the way down to the bottom, a lagoon, just in the middle of the desert, like an oasis that you see in a movie. And it's just breathtaking. And it's called like Piedras Rojas, which means red rocks. So it's like just outlined by all these bright red rocks. And then hot springs in the middle of the desert that you can swim in or geysers, like shooting hot hot um steam out of the ground and um what else do we do there stargazing stargazing so it's one of the best stargazing yeah. places in the world in, in the yeah in the with, world that's not no exaggeration um in nasa the world. nasa has eight I, I believe eight observatories um stationed in san pedro because the sky is so clear and there's no pollution mm-hmm. that you can literally see like the Milky Way, everything like yeah. it's it's mind blowing. Yeah. So, so the coolest part about it is Nikki. Uh, this this is her favorite place, but we had the most horrible experience <laughs> in our hostel. Nikki's Nikki's extremely clean, and this place was disgustingly dirty. Oh, and so for her to like fight through all that and still have an amazing. Um, uh, I it guess was my memories place, of yeah. San Pedro is it I just like, shows how I much she loved it. Those memories, yeah. Place was oh, uh, you're a better woman than I am. I, I like, <laughs> when it gets gross like that, I just I can't handle. Okay, it. I will tell you this: no. I slept in. Okay. I, I'm not going to tell you what I had to deal with, but I'll just say that for I think the five nights we were there, I slept in my Patagonia coat and jeans yeah. because uh, I couldn't deal with what I had to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys usually stay in hostels, or how do you figure out where you're going to stay? Yeah, typically we're. Typically, we do Airbnbs. Um, we either share a place or we get our own place with Airbnbs. It's about it's probably about 50, it's probably about 60, 40. 60, we get our own um, 40% share. Sharing, sharing an Airbnb is cool because the host can um, show you around quickly, give you the tips, and then you have somebody there that you can kind of lean on um, when you need to, and, and, it, and it keeps the cost down. We, we've done a few hostels, not a ton. Um, we've done Workaways. It's, it's, a, it's a, a website where... You volunteer your services to what we've focused on bed and breakfasts where we we've cleaned toilets, changed beds, help guests get checked in. Um, we've done four of those now, um, Chile, uh, Ecuador, uh, a month in Greece and a month in South Africa. Um, that's been a great way to keep costs down and um, stay in some cool places. And we've had luxury of doing hotels. We recently went to Ireland where my buddy visited us with his girlfriend. They use points. Um, for us for eight days and put us in hotels because with his industry, he's got a, he's got a ton of hotel points. So they put us up for a week in different hotels. So that was an absolute luxury to be in a hotel for a week. So that was really nice. But yes, we've mixed it up, but mostly Airbnbs. Now, how do you guys decide where you're traveling? You said you had a strategy about going with the sun, but how do you, how do you decide what your travel route is? Yeah, so so the initial the initial deal started where we we need, we want no we wanted to go to South America first, um, 
because that's where the sun was going to be in February, end of February when we were leaving. And what, what happened was, is um, I basically was just searching South American cities where we could use our points. Cause at that point we had points built up with our airline. So I found the cheapest flight to South America with our points, which happened to be Santiago, Chile. And from there, we knew that we would take buses and short flights, short um, domestic flights within the country to get from place to place within that. And then and we at that time, we kind of just, I had this high level, big plan where I wanted to go and where I wanted to see in, in, the, in the two plus years uh, that we're doing it. And Nikki kind of, she just always went along with this. She was just basically like, yeah, that sounds like a, a good plan. And we knew that the sun would be it. So from the three and a half months in South America, we did four months in Southern Europe, uh, from Portugal over to Greece, two months in India. Um, and, and part of that was we had a couple of weddings there. I was in technology. I've got a lot of Indian friends that helped us out. We stayed with a lot of, stayed in the home. And I didn't talk about that as far as places we stay. We've had a chance to stay with a lot of great people um, as we've traveled as well. Um, India was a highlight there. We stayed with many people there. Um, and then to, to kind of, to your point of how you decide, when we were in India, we were supposed to go to Kenya. We had a, a volunteer effort lined up where we were spend two weeks, two and a half weeks working with the, the children in Kenya. Um, and also I had um, a friend of a friend that had a place we could stay with them as well. And there was turmoil. There was political turmoil in Kenya. And the, um, uh, the U.S. Department of State basically said, Don't, it's not a good idea to travel there. The so, travel warning. Yeah, it was a travel warning out. So at that point, we, we had to um, change our plans. And um, um, we, we ended up putting six, six countries in a hat or six different cities in a hat and um, pulled out um, the Da Nang, Vietnam for our next leg. So we went to Vietnam for a month because we were supposed to be in Kenya for months, went to Vietnam for a month because um, it was we put six cheap cities that we could fly to and a half and pulled those out. And then um, South Africa for three, three months. And then based on our friend that was visiting the Southeast Asian region again, we went to Thailand for two and a half weeks and then back to Vietnam to visit with him. And then we went to Hong Kong just because it was the cheapest flight to Europe, because we knew we were coming back to Europe. So so a lot of these places are um, happenstance, like this is how we have to get to the other place. But our 10 days were in Hong Kong were amazing. So we're so thankful we had a chance to visit Hong Kong and we got we met a couple of friends there and they'll probably be friends for life. So it, it's a lot of it is luck and chance on how we decide, but some of it is kind of systematic on uh, we're, we're, we're making sure we avoid potential hostile situations. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment, but we wanted to take a minute to talk about what it takes to build a legendary marriage. We're going to focus on community because we believe that isolation is the enemy of a legendary marriage and community is a big part of the solution. You see, the truth is your spouse cannot meet all your relational needs and it's crazy to try to make them. Doing so creates unneeded strain and codependence is simply not healthy. So men need to have connection and community with other good men. And women need same with other good women. And together you need a few couples who can stand with you as you find a way over, around, or through every challenge life has to offer. See, we all long for a place to belong to, for a people to belong to, a tribe where we're supported and encouraged, where we can do the same for others. And our community on Facebook makes it easy. This is a group where you can connect with other couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So come join the conversation. Share your ideas, insights, experiences, victories, and failures in a circle of men and women 
who will support and encourage you. Be a part of this movement of couples. We're transforming their marriages and families forever. It's an amazing group. We hope to see you there soon. You can find us over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to the show. Egypt was high on our list when we started this. It's probably not going to happen uh, at all in, in, no. this, in the next year. So there's places that were, we were supposed to go to Russia for the World Cup. And um, that was one of my big bucket list things to do that. But it just didn't happen. We didn't, we didn't get the tickets. And then as we were looking at the prices to go to Russia, it just kept getting more and more expensive. So we just said, hey, let's just, let's be in Europe for the World Cup. So now we watched the game in Portugal versus Spain when we were in Portugal. That was nuts. So things like that, they just happen. And then our friends will call us and say, hey, dude, we're thinking about going to Ireland. We're thinking about going to Portugal. Where are you guys going to be at? And we'll say, all right, let's see if we can change our plans a little bit. We've just and spent we'll, 30 we'll meet days you. with friends. Yeah, we just saw friends for 30 days in different countries in Europe, which has wow. been amazing. And, and then just kind of just to, to tighten it, the, this last month, um, we, we had a gap month where we know we're flying to Japan in August. And then we had a, um, a period where we didn't have any plans. And I just told Nikki, I said, try to find us something that we could, where we could live for cheap or free uh, online. And there's websites out there that we're part of a, it's called trusted house sitters. And you get to pet sit and house sit for people for free while you're watching their, their pets. And so we landed um, a house sit for three weeks in Zurich, Switzerland, where Zurich is really expensive. So we, we probably couldn't have been able to afford it without something like this. So now we get to live in these, in these, this couple's house for three weeks for free watching their two cats. So stuff like this, it just pops up and we kind of go with it along the way as as much as we can. Is one of you more spontaneous and one of you more scheduled or do you ever conflict about that kind of stuff? It's weird. We we both are a little of each. My military background is um, pretty structured on a day-by-day way. I can be spontaneous on the fact that I when, when a friend calls me say we're going to be there, I, I say, Nick, I think we should go. Like, let's just do this. Let's book it now. I'm very much a quick decision maker on if I think it's right, my gut feels good, let's do this. Um, Nikki's pretty spontaneous regardless. She she just goes with the flow, which she's changed. I don't know. She's, she's always kind of been this way. She's extremely focused. Like when I told her, hey, let's find that a place during this gap month, oh my gosh, she was so zoned in. It was going to happen. And I knew it was going to happen, but she just gets laser focused and her head's down at her computer. And I know she's just working on stuff. And then she just pops up and she's like, hey, we got an interview for Zurich for this house sit. And she gives me the dates. I'm like, cool, let's do it. So she's she's flexible, but we have a little bit of each in both of us, which I think that's what makes us very compatible. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I'm wondering just I know for us travel can be very stressful, especially I mean, we have kids and travel can just be one of those times where you're kind of out of your element. Well, you guys are probably in your element because that's where you're always traveling. But what are the biggest challenges for your relationship being in a constant travel? You're 24 seven with the same person. Back home, like I described, we worked a lot. We would see each other on nights and on weekends. We've always had kind of a work hard, play hard mentality. So we, we really enjoyed the time that we had together. But the reality is, is we didn't see each other this much. And now we're with each other 24 seven. 
um, for almost a year and a half now. It can be anybody. You're with anybody for that much time. It can be tiring. But it hasn't even been that bad. I mean, I think I think early on we were both trying to figure out like, okay, what is this? What is this thing we're doing? And we were um, we were kind of in vacation mode, and so we started. We were probably two or three months into this. And we're like, man, this is our life now. This is our lifestyle. So we kind of worked through some kinks, and then it continued to get better and better uh, on understanding each other's pace, knowing well like what to say, what not to say, um, when we get hangry because uh, we haven't had a I chance to. Super- I get I'm so with you. it's not even funny. Yeah. And so then you're like, what food can we actually eat? It's, it's yeah. like a switch goes off, right? <laughs> My biggest thing is I'm a vegan. And for me, I it's fine. Like, I get it. I'm very picky. It's hard to find food for me. But sometimes people are not very compassionate about that. It's like... Matt's good about it to a certain point. So, you know, I get that not every place that we go to is going to have my exact particular thing, but don't take me to a steakhouse. That's, you know, like, it's like, that's a given. Like, yeah, so that most, most of our arguments start are over with food. food. They're over yeah. food. It's like 99% of, those, of the time, it's over yeah, food. Because it's one of those things where she might say, Matt, what do you think? And I eat everything. We'll eat anything. So on this journey, I've eaten ostrich, pigeon, duck, like goat head. Goat like, head. I've eaten so many exotic foods. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I try to practice vegetarianism when I can. Um, at home, he was but, a vegan. Yeah. So at home, so I, I would did just eat the it. shopping and I did the cooking and whatever. And so this is a weird thing for me to now see my husband eating goat head and all this stuff and saying, Oh, maybe I'll eat snake on my birthday. I'm yeah. like, what are you talking I'm about? pretty sure that's a weird thing for everybody. Eating goat head. I just, <laughs> yeah, not, not typical. Not it's not McDonald's, right? Yeah. But that they snuck that in. on. Yeah. Me. He got, that, that got was snuck not, in on yeah, that was but, not, I mean, not a goat head in on you. Well, they did. True story. In his defense, true story. True story. It was cooked. Did. It was already cooked. So in India, they have this tradition where if you have a new home or some major event that happens in your life, but I believe in this instance, particularly is they had a new home and to it's bless a blessing your of the home, home. Yeah. they slaughter a goat and then they take, they the, sacrifice the goat, they sacrifice the goat. And then they like take some of the blood and they make like a symbolic thing and like put it on the wall. And I don't want to get into the details because I don't want to make stuff up, but that's like the overarching what they do. Then they take the body and cook it and the head and cook it. But if you get the head, it's supposed to be like really awesome that you got this goat head. Well, so his friend leaves and goes to this home and says, I'm going to go get us food from the wedding party and bring it back. We didn't know he was going to the like newly newly blessed home. We just thought he was coming back with wedding food and we had had it. We were actually sitting at home with his father having a cocktail, just exchanging stories from the day we we're in our pajamas and I'm waiting for food to come back for Matt. Well, he sits there and it's meat, but we don't question it. It's like, Oh, thank you for just walking, you know, and getting us food. Yeah. And then after Matt eats, his friend starts snickering and is like, ah, did you like the food? And Matt's like, yeah, thank you so much or whatever. And he starts snickering again. And I was like, Preetham, what are you laughing about? And he was like, you just ate goat head. And I'm, I'm, my jaw literally dropped to the floor because I'm thinking, oh my God, that's not even funny. What if someone did not want to eat goat head? But he's like, no, it's right. so good. Like yeah. you just got like the, the head of a goat. And, and we it's, were treated, we were treated so just, well Oh my God, it's crazy. So we were in Hyderabad, India and we were treated so well. We were, this was a, um, a friend of mine from, from work and he invited us into their home for a wedding for the week. Yeah. And there was, it's a wedding, uh, Indian weddings are massive. And Nikki yeah. was actually in the wedding party. So yeah. there was oh. five or six bridesmaids and Nikki 
Mm-hmm. And we were the only two Americans, white faces, in the entire mm-hmm. 2,000 people. There's 2,000 people. And Nikki's in. So the entire week, they're treating, we're going through all their rituals, um, taking in their, their I mean, culture. It was like amazing. Was it was, so so for I'm me, it was family. no question. I'm, yeah. I'm eating this food and it's it's no problem. But sorry. Yeah, so our, our my, biggest, our, my yeah. biggest thing is over food because yeah. when I'm hungry, I don't have any condition, but I need to eat or else I'm going to get really upset. Yeah. What part of the head? I'm just thinking, like, are you what? using the, is it the brain? Is it like, like, is, is there like, that much meat, is, meat on a goat's head? I just he said, the like, brain. the brain, the jaw, the eyes are still mixed in there. It's anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, I didn't even Did you have some interesting dreams that night? <laughs> <laughs> you brought up people. The people in India were awesome. What were some of the stories or some of the people that you that you loved or marveled at along your route? Yeah, my 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 favorite one of my favorite stories is um, I'm a narc. If you're not sure if you're familiar with the Netflix um, TV show Narcos, it's uh, the drug cartels in Colombia. So I'm yeah. a big narc fan, and. We were, we were doing a work away, like I described, we were volunteering at a bed and breakfast in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And it, it doubled as a, like theater. a performance theater along with a mini bed and breakfast. But they would have volunteers there that would stay there in kind of like this bottom area and like this uh, kind of dor- dormitory type area. And then we'd mix in and like, and it was cool too, because um, at that work away, they took advantage of kind of our skills. Like I was helping them on some website stuff. Nikki was doing some some other stuff there that with with her skills. Um, but during the process, they were actually getting ready for the production of a play um, that they were putting on in this facility. And one of the actors in the play is a famous um, um, Ecuadorian actor. His name is Andres Crespo. And he's so humble and such a nice guy. And um, we had a chance to like um, share drinks with him. I got a chance to ask a lot of questions. But he was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Narco season three. Um, it should be pretty cool because once he once he knew that I like narcos, he, he told me more about it. But he played it down so low um, that it wasn't a big deal. And then when the episode came on about three, three or four months later, he's like a, one of the main stars in season three. And so for us, for, for me to be able to meet this guy and we're still friends, he, he comments on my Instagram posts. Um, yeah. we're, we're on Twitter friends together. And um, it's it's just cool that that happened during this process. And to, to meet an actor like that, that, he, that is really cool, and really humble. That was really nice. Um, that, that, stood, that stands out for me as one of the people we've met along the road. Yeah, so when we were in Brazil, Rio, three years ago, we, were, uh, we had just visited the Christ the Redeemer statue, and we had a tour guide that took us up there. And afterwards, I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but he took us to eat some typical Brazilian food. And we were sitting at these tightly like these little tiny tables and they were really close together, kind of cafe style. And um, when we were ordering our food, I had said something out loud and a girl sitting right next to me said, oh, you're speaking American. She's like, where are you from? And I said, oh, Indianapolis, where are you from? She's like, New York. She's like, oh my God, it's so refreshing to hear people speak American. You know, I've been traveling for such a long time, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up just hitting it off and talking for a long time. I exchanged numbers with her. She asked me if I wanted to hang out later. And lo and behold, we met like a couple nights later with her and her boyfriend at the time for sushi. And we kept in contact. Fast forward, Three years later, I just recently met up with her in Portugal and 
she has, she was like a solo, she calls herself like a solo female traveler. Um, she's traveled all over the world and she was, she used to live and work in Manhattan and she did like sold high end real estate, estate, like condos or whatever, but she did a similar thing to us. So she quit her job, basically traveled the whole entire world. And in doing so found out that she absolutely loved Lisbon, Portugal. And now she lives there and is trying to get permanent residency. And I don't know. Like I've just, it's my first time in my adulthood life where I met someone traveling and didn't really have a relationship with them that would be like an in-person one, but I kept in contact with her via phone calls or emails or on WhatsApp. And I just now reconnected with her three years later last week. And I don't know, she's just an interesting person to me because she quit everything, left her friends and family and did this on her own. And I I think I have Matt to do that with. And, you know, that in itself was for me at first, very scary to leave my job and my friends and family behind. But but at least I had someone else to to do that with. And, you know, that's comforting. But for for her to go out there and quit her job and and do it alone, I I just think that's a lot of courage. And, and, not to bring it up, but she's also a female. She's doing it alone as a female. And you bring up a good point about um, females in different areas of the world. And I know you have a six foot six man by your side with you, but where are some of the places that you found where it's, it's been very like eye opening or challenging to be a female in that culture? You know, I've been very lucky. Like you said, I've had I have a six foot six husband and I feel that, um, a lot of times people don't even look at us or if they do, they immediately see him to my right or left and they feel intimidated by that. So the only, you know, there's been a couple places where we've gone that are, I would say rough or just have somewhat of a tense vibe where as a woman, I definitely feel like I've been looked at differently. So one of the places that we had we had just previously mentioned was Guayaquil, Ecuador, just like a rougher city. Yeah, like rough as much as uh, the the workaway that the, the bed and breakfast we were staying yeah. at. The the main helper um, that did a lot of the kind of the construction stuff around the the place. He was probably in his sixties. He was like sixty five, maybe seventy. Yeah. I don't know. He was held up at gunpoint while we were there at um, the store that we went to every day store, to get groceries. Yeah, at the store we would go to. Like he came back and he's like, "My cell phone is gone," and I said, "Oh my yeah. gosh, what happened to you?" And he was like, "Yeah," and it was super early in the morning too, about yeah. six a.m. And you know, I just think he's from Guayaquil. Um, he's an elderly gentleman, and for someone to take advantage of him. But he's not, scrappy. This guy's scrappy. Yeah, but, it's not like he's walking around yeah. with a cane. This guy's like a scrappy and guy. And he's a local. And yeah. for me, it would just seem like someone would more likely take advantage of someone yeah. who was a tourist, um, not an elderly gentleman that's a local who could speak mm-hmm. that language. So there seemed rough to me. Um, pe- people would definitely look at me when I walk around. And then um, another place South was... Africa. South Africa. Yeah. So when we were in South Africa, not Cape Town, I felt completely fine in Cape Town. It's more touristy, that you know, like like a beach vibe. But we visited some of the other coastal cities, you would yeah. call them. But like we were in Mossel Bay, and I had a situation happen to me where we were staying in an Airbnb, a really nice flatlet, like a self catering flatlet. But it was about 0.6 miles away from the main strip where we had to go and get our groceries, or there was like a little strip mall. And I'm not afraid to go out. Like I just, the mentality that I have now is, is 
you know, I'm not going to live my life in fear and sit at home and wait for Matt to come with me to do everything. I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. Now, with that being said, I'm also not going to be an idiot. And I know that if I'm in a super weird, sketchy situation, I'm not just going to be like, well, screw that. I'm going to go anyway. So it was broad daylight. It's probably one o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, Hey, I have to go get groceries. And Matt was working on some things at home. And he said, okay, cool. You know, just text me when you get there and, you know, text me when you're about to leave. So I left and I had my, my backpack on my back to get my groceries and I'm walking and there it's not uncommon to see pickup trucks with like truckloads of gardeners and men in the back and then two or three guys in the front driving around, but they're just going to and from their job, you know, places of work. And so as I was walking, this truck was coming the opposite direction, like towards me as I was walking towards the mall and in the middle of the street and the guy, you know, the, the truck stopped and the guy had his, the driver had his window rolled down and he whistled at me. And in that fleeting moment, like my heart kind of palpated because I thought all any one of those men have to do is just jump out of the back of the bed of the truck and take me, snatch me up. Why are they stopping? I mean, this is a very intimidating situation. There's 12 to 15 guys in the back. The truck is fully loaded and they're clearly whistling at me. I don't know what their intention is. And so I just thought something just told me to just smile and wave and, and show them that I'm not scared of them and walk at a normal pace. Because if I run, then that would give them the impression that I feel like they're going to do something wrong. So I just smiled, waved, and just went about my way. And the, the scarier element in South Africa is, is that every single home has like razor wire and barbed yeah. wire and high fences so that like, unlike America, if you were to be in a situation like that, you just run up to the home or knock on a door. If you would find yourself in, you know, ask a neighbor for help, but you can't do that. It is like boarded up. So you can't even go to a yeah. house for, for help. Um, everything's on lockdown. And it's so crazy because if you ask the locals where you're at, like, do you feel like this is safe? They'll say yes. And I'm like, well, why do you have razor sharp barbed wire all around your home? And you're, you're literally on lockdown. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I couldn't even try to break into your home if I wanted to break into your home. There's keypads upon keypad entries upon barbed wire just to even go into wow. your front door. So it is, but and it's weird too because they would a lot of the people would act like it was a safe neighborhoods, but they would constantly live in fear mm -hmm. and, and talk about stories. Um I, I don't and I don't want to shed a bad light. But, I love, and this I is, love South, South Africa, Africa is it's amazing. One of my favorite places, but, but but the reality is is there's uh, and this is you talk about her being in a fear, but as her husband, I'm always I'd always have to be I'm always on guard to make sure that she's protected. Um, there's a big rape culture. And it's talked about often yeah. um, in South Africa. And it's um, so for us going in, we kind of knew that, but you, you're, you're always on edge a little bit. So it, it, um, it was, there Again, was, we're there not going to live our life in fear. Yeah, I mean, we knew that going there. Yeah. So I'm not going to say I'm not going to Some people there. that we were around a lot there just reiterated constantly how scary it was. We're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Please. Cause I'm a very, I'm, I'm annoyingly positive in life where people are like, dude, okay, we get it. Calm down. But, um, it was, if I, so I, if I hear repetitive negativity, I get extremely turned off and it, but it, in that, in South Africa at times, there was a lot of people saying a lot of negative, negative people about their own, about yeah. their own people and culture. So mm. yeah, it's, it could, it was kind of tiring down there. So, um, just in wrapping up, what does this look like into the future for you guys? Are, is this your forever lifestyle? Are you, heading back to Indianapolis? Like, what does this look like for y'all? 
we're absolutely we're heading back to Indianapolis. Um, the plan is May 2019 um, to, to go back probably that summer, see parts of the U.S. Um, like we've been traveling the world, go back and see parts of the U.S., kind of like what you guys did with the RV. Maybe do something similar to that. And then I think, I think it depends. We're, we're getting much better and more savvier about our budget. So how long can that money last is really the critical question. And then if, if and when we, we get the urge either to, to have to work or it calls us back, then, then we're definitely going to grind it, um, start, start grinding it out again in, the, in our careers. But in, in reality, is we miss our family, yeah. um, we miss our friends. So to get a chance to see, um, we just had a niece, a new niece. So get a chance to see our friends and family that, that we haven't seen and catch up with them is going to be amazing. And then, and then just kind of figure it out from there. That was the, the coolest thing about it is when we left, we loved our careers. We, we loved what we were doing, but travel just pulled us a little, pulled, pulled us a little harder than our careers were pulling us. And so that's why we decided to do it. We weren't one of these couples that were like, Oh, screw the world or, or, or screw our <laughs> lives. We want to get out of here. That was not our situation. Yeah. We, we loved our lives. And um, we loved what we had going on, but we just really wanted to do this. This was like a chapter that if we didn't do it, we'd be saying what if forever. And um, so we were at that point where, okay, we can either do this or we, we need to stop talking about it because um, I'm getting in a chapter in my life where if, if I didn't leave my career when I did, then it, would, it wouldn't have been possible to leave later because reentering the workforce at some point gets really difficult. Um, yeah. So that's, that's why we made the decision when we did. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, it's been so, I feel like we could talk, we could talk to you guys forever, but I mean, you got things to do and things to see and places to really places to go people to see what do we have to do? I don't know. Y'all it has been amazing. So how can our listeners find you and what you guys are doing and follow your trips and everything? Yeah. Everything um, about us can be found at passportjoy.com. It's as easy as it sounds, passportjoy.com. Awesome. And there you'll find all of our blog posts, our social media links, and our, our podcast. All right. You guys, amazing. Have have a fun rest of the time in Yeah, thank Bucharest. you so much for, for coming and having a conversation with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. All right. I think, I think this one has awakened the giant. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared because it has, and we tend to be a little bit impulsive on doing that. Like, they were really, um, like, they had all their ducks in a row. Like, they talked about, like... Quack, quack, They paid off their debt. They banked their cash for a couple years, and then they became world travelers. Could we be that patient and calculated? No. And... (laughs) And like they just have a different mentality around travel. Like they're there for for their reasons and everything. You know, ours are different. Uh, the, the, when I say I awaken the giant, I'm like I'm going. Okay, we're coming up on an anniversary in the fall, mm-hmm. and we have not done a a real like a trip, a big thing for the two of us. Yeah, and I, I want to make that happen. I want to. I want to shuffle the kids off to your parents and disappear to the Caribbean for let's shuffle away a few years. You know what? They talked about it being hard <laughs> a few years. <laughs> Jeez. We'll miss part of their childhood, but whatever. FaceTime. 
FaceTime. That's right. It's a beautiful thing. They talked about, this was interesting that I thought, the tough part about being around each other 24-7. And remember in Grey's Anatomy, where she's like, you're my person. Uh, Matt and Nikki, they're totally their person. There's nobody else. Yeah. And... I don't know. I think we might drive each other crazy if we were 24-7. What do you think? I, I think you need to... I don't know. Would you Would you like being around me 24-7, honey? Of course. I know. Look dreamily into my eyes like, and I, say... That's kind of the deal. Like, that... Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You are my person, but it would be tricky. What are you trying to... like? I feel like you're trying to put project this at me, no, you but know what you're it is. the one that's got the... Yeah, you know what it is? And I've had this realization this week. When I am not around my friends, my friends are a very full part of my existence. And when my friends are off the radar, when my I'm not doing ladies night, I'm not doing, you know, play dates at the pool or whatever, I get a little shrivelly. <laughs> All right. You know so, that. So, everybody, I want you to call, text, <laughs> Facebook message, <laughs> email, send carrier pigeons to Danielle this week. I need, I, I'm getting shrivelly over here, people. <laughs> Please All right. stop saying that. All right. So, here's the <laughs> conversation. disturbing. So, here's the conversation starter this week. Dream a little bit. What would it look like if you and your family could take an epic adventure with no restraints? You know, don't worry about the, hey, we've got to save money for two years and all Mm -hmm. that. Take the governor off. What would you do? It all starts with a dream. You got to get clear about what the dream is so you can get on the same page about it before you can start setting goals and and saving and planning and all that stuff. Honey, I think I want to get an RV again. Oh, boy. Should we do it? We'll see. Let's start saving. All right. As I, always, I think the conversation is longer than four point four seconds. Oh well, I was just hoping to slide it in there before we yeah. got off the air. That's what she said. Anyway, as always, we are talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more in our free community on Facebook. So come join us at legendarymarriage.com/slash/community. You can find this episode and the show notes over at legendarymarriage.com/slash/zero eight. Finally, we want to help more couples have the conversations that matter. So if you love the show, then please let us know. Jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary.